Revelation chapter 2, commencing at verse 18, to the church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer it intensely, unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am him who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learnt Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is written in, a, in another time and in another context. And this particularly is written to a particular situation. But we also believe as a church family that your word is authoritative and inspired and relevant and contemporary and speaks to us today. That it is living and active. So help us to understand what the message of this letter is for us here at St. Andrew's today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So do keep page 1235 open in front of you. The letter to the church in Thyatira. Intolerance uh, is the great sin of our age. Postmodernism demands tolerance. Tolerance, that is, of, of everyone except the intolerant. Of course, you can't, you, they don't tolerate the intolerant. And of course, we Christians are bigoted, narrow-minded, deeply intolerant people. So we're very countercultural. It's very exciting. Perhaps if we think of ourselves in that way as countercultural people, the letter to the church in Thyatira seems a little less shocking than when we first hear it read. 
because it certainly is shocking at first sight, Jezebel and her, chil- and her children are foretold a shocking fate. What can we possibly learn from such a letter? Let me just give you very quickly the context. Um, this is, uh, uh, Thyatira is a town uh, in Asia Minor, where all the other towns are. The geographical route, uh, or the, the order of the letters follows a geographical route that a journey or a messenger with letters would naturally take. And uh, some have misleadingly perhaps described Thyatira as an industrial town. But perhaps that conjures up the wrong picture for us. You might think of William Blake and dark satanic mills or something like that. It wasn't really like that. But Thyatira, unlike the other towns that the letters are addressed to, is a working man's town. Trade, guild, trade guilds flourish there, particularly cloth making, dyeing, and pottery. And you may recall that back in Acts chapter 16, in, in Philippi, Paul encounters a lady called Lydia, who's a trader in cloth, and she has come from Thyatira in Asia across uh, the Isthmus into Europe. So Thyatira is a busy working city, um, probably of a few thousand people, and it is a place where women in particular have a real role in society. They can ply their trade, and clearly, as we see from the letter, they can speak in the church. The church was probably established during Paul's second (coughs) missionary journey, although the visit isn't actually recorded in Acts, but that's what most people think. Thyatira was not a place where religion was taken very seriously. A lot of these towns, there is cult worship, emperor worship, and so on. Not so in Thyatira. It is a a working city. Just turn me down a minute, minute, Martin, because I'm going to cough very loudly. Thank you. You can turn me up again. (laughs) Um, People were very busy trying to make uh, a living in Thyatira, and so it was secular, materialistic, and not the kind of place where you would expect mission to go particularly well. A typical Thyatiran was not particularly well educated and had a materialist outlook on life. That gives you the the context of of the town, quite a small town, a few thousand people. But we find that even here, in this unpromising atmosphere, a little church has been established, and there is much that is very good about it. In a hostile and perhaps often disinterested culture, the Christians are showing love, we're told, demonstrating Christian service in the community, and persevering in their faith. That's pretty good by any standards, verse 19. But even more, Jesus is able to tell them that they're doing more than they did at first. So there is growth in maturity. Is that true of us? Are we doing more than we did at first? Last week here at St. Andrews, uh, we celebrated the work going on in Cutslow. I personally found the whole Sunday very inspiring and encouraging. Of course, the Cutslow ministry is only part of what we do as a church. We dedicate perhaps 12% of our income to the work there. But it at least is evidence that we are doing more than we used to do. The Cutslow ministry also demonstrates to the world and other churches in Oxford that middle class, wordy, academic, prosperous, supposedly, St. Andrews, 
cares for the marginalized and struggling in our city. If you like, it is one of our efforts to do good deeds. But our vision as a church is bigger than just the Cutslow work, of course. We as a church, like the church in Thyatira, want to reach out and draw into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, people from all over Oxford, all over our city and beyond, as we seek to reach the whole family with the gospel. And central to our work here, as in Thyatira, is the need to be faithful to the message handed down to us in Scripture, faithful to its proclamation, believing and praying in the power of the Spirit that people are converted, and God's kingdom, the rule of Jesus, breaks into people's lives. That is central to what we're doing. We cannot abandon the commitment that we have as a church to the gospel, move away from God's word to say a greater emphasis on social concern, or move away from God's word to a more liberal position, say, on ethical or doctrinal issues. And it is my very firm convention that we would rapidly decline, and deservedly so, abandoned by God's blessing as surely as Jezebel and her children were to be thrown onto this bed of suffering, as it is referred to in the letter. See, that is what Jesus objects to in Thyatira. In the name of tolerance, very attractive to today's culture, in the name of tolerance, they allow this prophetess, whom Jesus nicknames Jezebel, the idolatrous, wicked queen of the Old Testament. I don't suppose that was her real name. He, he calls her that in the letter to make his point. She is allowed to have a platform in the church. In particular, this woman, in her teaching, questions the biblical view of sex and the early church's attitude to food sacrificed to idols, which actually has been clarified in the Jerusalem Council, which you can read about in the book of Acts. So, that has been dealt with, really, that the Christians should not eat the food sacrificed to idols so as not to cause offense to other Christians, although in itself it is just food. But uh, out of sensitivity to other Christians, be careful. Now, these, these issues, the making a secondary thing primary, the food sacrificed to idols, and false teaching about sexuality does have a contemporary feel, does it not? For instance, and I use it just as one example, the message that some churches seem to major on these days is a message concerned with ecology, climate change. They seem to think that is the main thing that we need to be contesting. Now, don't misunderstanding me, protecting the planet and getting a right attitude to climate change is good, but it is not the gospel. It is important. Some Christians can say justifiably for them it's very important. But fighting climate change is not why St. Andrew's was founded. And making sure people did not eat food sacrificed to idols was not why Paul founded the church in Thyatira. It is a secondary issue. Likewise, some churches seem now to tolerate and even advocate a sexual ethic entirely contrary to that given us in Scripture. So a very good question that we need to ask as a church and we need to be able to answer is why is sex outside marriage wrong? It's a very cultural statement to make that sex should only be within marriage. Why is sex outside marriage wrong? Years ago, I remember the late great evangelist David Watson 
uh, here in Oxford speaking on this subject and telling us about a mission he had been on in Southampton. And he said that as he drove to the meeting at which he was speaking, he passed a couple of people, boy and a girl, young man, young woman, uh, who were hitching a lift. And he picked them up to give them a lift into town, said where he was going. And they were thrilled because they said they too were Christians and they were going to the meeting to listen to David Watson preach. He said, well, I am David Watson, so uh, we're going to the same place. (laughs) The conversation flourished, of course, and in due course, ascertaining that they were not yet married, David said that they must be considering that in due course, or would they be considering it? They said that there was no rush because God had told them it was okay for them to live together because they loved each other and sleep together. Uh, God had approved their action. Why were they wrong? I don't think I've ever done this before, but I want to quote direct from the New International uh, Version Application Study Bible because I didn't think I can really improve on how it answers the question. In its notes, it said this, Why is sexual immorality serious? Sex outside marriage always hurts someone. It hurts God because it shows we prefer to satisfy our own desires, our own way, instead of according to God's word, or to satisfy them now rather than wait for God's timing. It hurts others because it violates the commitment so necessary to relationship. It hurts us because it often brings disease to our bodies and adversely affects our personalities. Sexual immorality has tremendous power to destroy families, churches, and communities because it destroys the integrity on which those relationships are built. God wants to protect us from hurting ourselves and others. Thus, we are to have no part in sexual immorality, even if our culture accepts it. Unquote. In other words, we are to be intolerant of sexual immorality. We are to preach against it, and we are to live differently. And I suggest to you this evening that there's probably not a single family here this evening uh, who has not to some extent discovered that what I've just quoted is true. We have all been hurt to some degree or another by sexual immorality. Some, of course, very, very deeply hurt. Uh, Tim Keller uh, wrote this about uh, a famous uh, author. He said this, um, David... Foster Wallace was regarded as one of the most popular writers of his generation. He was an award-winning, best-selling postmodern novelist, known around the world for his boundary-pushing storytelling. He was not religious. He gave a now famous speech at Kenyon College, Ohio, in which he said this, Everybody worships. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you in the ground. David Foster killed himself on September the 12th, 2008. It's a false God, and it's a false God that is proclaimed by our society today. In Thyatira and today, voices are raised in favor of living together before marriage, adultery, even homosexual acts and homosexual marriage. What next will our tolerant society demand? Will polygamy be legalized? Will pedophilia be seen more as a, uh, 
an inclination that needs to be respected and understood rather than a crime against children. Bestiality, even. It all happened in societies where the gospel was ignored or twisted. And according to this letter, if we're to take it seriously, it will happen again here unless we do what the faithful in Thyatira did and persevere in faith and love and obedience to God's word. The letter warns us that God is not mocked and that judgment will come. I've said enough. The consequences of false teaching in Thyatira were to be disastrous. They were disastrous for these false teachers. And they will be, they will be for the church today unless we get it right. But the letter is also encourage, encouraging. Be encouraged. As in Thyatira, we are asked, what we are asked to do is actually not hard. The people in Thyatira are not asked to do anything hard. They are asked to hold on to what you have. Hold on. Do not let go of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And in Thyatira, despite uh, the strength of the language that Jesus uses, in strength of the, the passionate plea for orthodoxy that Jesus makes to the church, he knows that they are capable of holding on, of being ready for his return, of being faithful. Jesus knows that it is possible for Christians in the power of the Spirit and as we set our face determinedly to follow Christ, to hold on to our Christian faith, to be safe and saved as Christians. If you hold on, you will be safe, you will be saved, you really will. Let's pray. Perhaps increasingly we are aware, Father, that our society is questioning many of the things that we have, in a sense, taken for granted, certainly in my generation have taken for granted, although much was questioned, of course, in the 60s as well. But we know now that there is a great abandoning of many of the things that are held to be precious in your word. And we pray that you would help each one of us facing these battles. Each of us will have different individual battles that we're facing. They may be with sexuality, but it may well be with something else. It may well be with something else. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us as a church family to hold on to the fundamental claims of the Christian faith. And you would help us as individuals to build on the foundation of those fundamentals holding on to them, being the kind of people you want us to be, knowing that we are safe and saved in Jesus. Amen.